our souls tonight that regardless of where we've been, that we are yours. In the same way that a parent or a friend wouldn't ask you where you've been or what you've been doing, they'd just be glad that you're home because you belong to them. Lord, I just ask for that feeling of our souls tonight, that you would just be, you are mine, you are mine, you are mine. be seated. And the band will come back up one more time at the end. So welcome, you guys. Um, welcome back to uh, the land of the living, to in-person stuff here on Sunday. I know some of you guys have been meeting in smaller groups uh, in homes or online or in front yards, and, and, but it's, it's good to be back together here on Sunday. Um, I wanted to start tonight with, uh, with actually what's kind of like an old tradition for me. So um, when I was doing campus ministry at Florida State, we had this tradition of telling, I would start off by telling stories about my kids. Um, and it was especially about my oldest, Avila. We called them Avila stories. And the joke was that um, pastors and preachers, they tend to have these very profound stories about their kids that help them discover things about God. Well, these stories had nothing to do with what I was talking about. So that, that was sort of the joke. It's just like, it's just, just pure icebreaker just because I feel like telling you a story. So um, I want to tell you uh, about a conversation I had with my kids. Uh, this was on January 4th, 2012. Okay, so those are my daughters over there. They're 11 and 13 now. So that was eight years ago. So there were five. Nora had just, Nora wasn't even three yet. She was almost three, all right? And uh, I, was, I was teaching the girls about um, the fall of man, about the fall of, of humanity um, out of their children's Bible. And there was this picture of Adam and Eve having to leave the garden. And it was sad, you know? And uh, I was trying to explain how um, Adam and Eve and the fall of man affected the world that we live in. And um, so uh, I asked them to name some of the bad things that can happen in this world now as a result of what Adam and Eve did. And, and I gave them a few uh, you know, examples just to kind of prime the pump. I said, um, you know, like, like people being poor or, or not having any food or, or people getting hit by cars, you know, and Avila... Um, said, fire. People's hair can get caught on fire now. <laughs> and uh, I said, yeah, that's true. Um, what else? And Avila said, and sometimes there's no firemen. <laughs> and I was like, okay, yeah, that's true. Uh, and, uh, and then Nora chimed in uh, and she said, and sometimes Batman doesn't save the day. <laughs> and I said, yeah, that's true, Nora. Sometimes Batman doesn't save the day. And uh, so I felt like the message was sort of sinking in a little bit. And then Avila was just getting warmed up. And so she said, and um, someone, someone might want to be in a band and put fire down their throats and their insides get caught on fire. And uh, I was like, 
this this little one is is pretty stuck on fire now as the, the result of the fall. But yes, um, I'll always remember from that conversation now, anytime I preach on Adam and Eve, that sometimes somebody might want to be in a band. And they might put fire down their throats and their insides might get caught on fire. And also the other important attending truth that sometimes Batman doesn't save the day. So anyway, that's my, uh, that's my Avila and Nora story for tonight. Uh, we'll see whether it has any relevance to what I'm going to say, but let me say a prayer. <laughs> Heavenly Father, thank you for this gathering. And uh, Lord, I pray as we open up your word and uh, talk about who you're calling this church to be, what you're calling this community to be and to do, um, that, uh, that you would be teaching us afresh about who you're calling us to be as individuals and to do as well. Amen. Amen. So, um, so the format, uh, I just want to say a little bit about the format of what we're doing with these Sandlot services. It's essentially just some music, then there'll be some teaching. The teaching's always going to be of an interactive nature. It's not going to be the same as what we do in the morning. We're still using our Sunday morning at Zoom at 10 a.m. as our principal worship service. So our, our, um, our uh, sermon series on the book of Romans is going to be ongoing uh, on Zoom. So please do check that out. Or if you're interested in checking that out, um, you can ask, ask a friend for a link before you go. But um, we just wanted to gather on Sunday evenings for an hour, maybe an hour and 15 minutes as the weather's changed. It's getting a bit nicer. As just a sort of a transitional move, we're hoping that um, even as the virus has begun to look better this week in terms of percentages and all that sort of stuff, that it'll continue to move in that direction. And we'll be able to uh, begin to meet in the building on Sunday mornings again at some point. But, um, but while we're gathered here, um, I, uh, we, we were originally thinking about that maybe we would do a brief Bible study on whatever the gospel passage was um, for that particular Sunday. But um, this last Monday, I had a retreat. I had a chance to take 24 hours away and uh, stay overnight in Thomasville. And uh, I was, as I was praying for you guys, praying for the church, I sensed that these Sunday night gatherings were actually a good opportunity for the Lord to remind us who we are as a church. So who are we as incarnation and what are the things that we care about? And years ago, Carissa and I, my wife, Carissa, used to lead um, this Incarnation 101 class called the Roots Course, uh, where we would go through our 10 core values as a church, the 10 things that we deeply care about. And uh, they also used to be posted on our old website, so I think we might need to repost those again. And at this point, it's actually been um, many years, uh, three and a half years, I looked at my notes, since we talked on these values. And so I think it's time that we go back to them as a way of kind of going back to the basics and remembering who we believe that the Lord is calling us to be as a church. But before we dive in, um, let me tell you a little bit where they came from. And I'll just tell you, because I lead a Bible study in this neighborhood on Wednesday nights, that the helicopters and airplanes love this neighborhood, okay? So I'm just going just gonna to go right through it. So um, um, where did these 10 values came from? Really, there were, there were three sources. The first, I, I mentioned uh, earlier that I, I used to do campus ministry. Chris and I um, did ministry with InterVarsity Christian Fellowship for 12 years. Um, uh, most of that time was spent uh, on campus at FSU, and then we kind of slowly spread onto TCC and FAMU as well. And, um, 
And so a lot of these values came from what God taught us in that crucial time doing ministry with college students and um, having them become some of our best friends that we still hang out with today, including many people who go to this church. Um, also, uh, when, uh, when, when we were in seminary, um, uh, the halls were also there, and we actually lived next door to each other. So our kids used to play together in the backyard all the time. We used to have tea time together. It was just kind of like, and so um, about a year or so before we moved back, we got this uh, sense and the bishop was kind of talking to us about maybe us planting a church together. So we started to meet together weekly just to study scripture and pray together for this future church plant idea. So we did that for a little less than a year. And we talked about what we felt like was important and what we felt like God was calling us to do. So, uh, so these values also came from that time. Um, the third thing is um, some of the people who are here tonight were a part of the original kind of core planting team for this church where we met for nine months before we ever hosted a public worship service and just spent a lot of time in prayer and in conversation with each other about the kind of church that um, we felt like we were called to start. And so these values also come from that time. So it's kind of an amalgam of those three things. And as we talked and prayed and read scripture together, we realized these 10 core values kept coming back to us. And these values, I'm going to name all 10 of them, are um, the glory of God, number one, Number two, cross-shaped love. Number three is dependence. And we would talk about both um, the vertical aspect of dependence, dependence upon God, and then the horizontal aspect that we wanted to live in interdependence with one another. Um, the fourth is shared mission, that it wasn't just going to be one or a few people doing things, but that we would share the mission of this church. Um, the fifth is the lost and the least, that this is a core value for us, the lost and the least, that sounds kind of like a weird value, but Jesus valued being among those who seem like they were lost, being among those who seem like they were least, and we felt like we want to be a church that's, that reflects Jesus in that way. Sixth, um, beauty, we want to be a church that, that valued beauty, and valued the arts, and valued music, and valued creativity. Seventh, uh, diversity. And we talked about um, both that in terms of uh, multi-ethnicity, but also in terms of diversity of ages, uh, socioeconomic diversity. We didn't want to be a homogenous church, okay? Uh, eighth was authenticity. Ninth, it was discipleship of the mind. Uh, we wanted to be a church that valued uh, deep thinking. And then 10th, we smuggled three into one. We want to be a three streams church. That is, we want to be uh, biblical. We want to be sacramental, rooted in the, the great tradition of the church, and we wanted to be charismatic, open to what the Holy Spirit continues to do today. So, um, so here's here's what we're going to do for the next few weeks. We're going to split up these ten values into a three week series, um, starting with just the first two today, which are sort of foundational, uh, and then follow follow those up next Sunday with four more. Um, so I'm going to do a mini teaching today on the first two values, uh, the glory of God and cross-shaped love. Uh, but it's going to be interactive. All these Sunday night things are going to be interactive. Uh, in fact, I want to start by asking you to turn to your neighbors, um, uh, maybe those who are part of your bubble, or if you could you know, talk to somebody who's six feet away from you, turn your chair around for just a second. And I just want to know, what are the thoughts or questions that immediately come to your mind when you think about these first two values? The glory of God 
and cross-shaped love. So this is just kind of a first impressions thing. What, what, what kind of impressions do those words give to you? So just two minutes, turn to your neighbor, go for it. All right, let's come back together. We'll, I'll give you guys more of a chance to t talk with one another um, near the end. So, um, so as I mentioned, we're just going to do the first two values this week. The first is the glory of God. As God's people, we're called to value the glory of God above all else. The first and most famous question of the Westminster Shorter Catechism is, what is the chief end of man? And does anyone know what answer the catechism God gives? And enjoy him yes, man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Well done. All right. I know you've been studying your Westminster Shorter Catechism during COVID. Yeah. Now, both of these truths, to glorify God and enjoy him forever, are firmly established in Scripture. Romans 11 uh, says this about the Lord it says, For from him, through him, to him are all all things to God be the glory forever and ever. Amen. And it's all from you and for you and to you to God be the glory. In Revelation 4, we're given an image of the throne room of God, an image into eternity. And it says, uh, it says this about the people. They cast their crowns before the throne. Don't you love that phrase? They cast their crowns. The best thing that I have, the most valuable thing that I have, whatever that might be for you, they cast their crowns before the throne saying, worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things and by your will they existed and were created. We were created to glorify God. That is our chief end. But also, it's where we find our ultimate fulfillment. It's the fuel that we were made to burn. It's not like God is just sort of selfish or egotistical or something, and he knows, you know, I just kind of just want a lot of attention. I'm a really insecure God. No, he knows that it'll bring his creatures true happiness as well. John Piper says, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. So those two things go together. That's why the psalmist always says things like, you are my portion. That's a way of glorifying God. You are my portion. You're the thing that I most want. Right? When you think about like, you, you know, you're at a Thanksgiving dinner and, and you're eyeballing the food and you're like, oh man, what's my portion going to be? I'm going to want a little bit of that and a little bit of that. And you stack your plate really big and it's like, oh, I need to make sure that I get some of that on there or whatever. The psalmist is saying, no, you are my portion. You're the thing that I want on my plate. You're the thing that I wouldn't, I, I wouldn't give anything else up for. Psalm 73 verses 25 through 26 says, whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire beside you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. The earth has nothing I desire but you. There's something about that mentality 
you know? And, and if you didn't know the Lord in this way, it would sound like scarcity. It's like the world has nothing you desire, but God, oh man, that's gonna be, that's gonna be bad. There's something about being in that mind space that just fills up your cup. That just fills you up in a way that nothing else will. You are my portion, God. One of my favorite passages in scripture is Exodus 33, where the Lord tells Moses that he will grant his request. Any request he has because Moses, he said, you're highly favored. I want to grant your request. And I'm like, wow, Moses is in a privileged position here. He can say whatever he wants. I wonder what he's going to request of the Lord. And Moses says this to the Lord. Pray, show me your glory. That's what he wants from the Lord. Show me your glory. It gives me chills. There's a similar story about one of the greatest theologians in the history of the church, Thomas Aquinas. Uh, he wrote these big old tomes on theology and was just known uh, and is known by many to be the most brilliant man in the history of the church, perhaps the most brilliant man that ever lived. And um, he was also known to be very saintly. And at one point, um, some of his brothers, some of his fellow monks were spying on him as he was having a time of prayer because they heard an additional voice beside Thomas in the room. And so they're leaning against the door and they hear this voice that's not Thomas say to Thomas, you have spoken well of me, Thomas. Now, what would you have as your reward? And Thomas said, just you, Lord. Just you. And it was after that experience that Thomas would say for the rest of his life that everything he was, that he'd ever written was straw compared to that experience. Have we come to that point where we just say, it's just you. It's just you. That's what I want. So that's the first thing, the first value of our church, the glory of God, to glorify him and to be wrapped up into that glory and enjoy it forever. The second value is cross-shaped love. Will someone turn to Philippians chapter 2? Somebody has a Bible app or whatever, just raise your hand when you got it. I would like you to read out verses 3 through 8 for us, nice and loud. You got it, Emily? Philippians 2, 3 through 8? Yeah. Maybe you could stand up and take your mask off when you read for us. Thank you. Yep. <laughs> Sorry. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Pause for just a second. Do nothing out of rivalry or conceit. Don't just look to your own interests, look to the interests of others. And now he's going to tell you why. Okay, go ahead. So Paul is saying, do nothing out of vanity or conceit and humility. Consider others better than yourselves. Why? 
Because Jesus, who's the very Son of God, did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he made himself nothing, taking on human form, becoming a servant, even, even unto death, even death on a cross, right? So, so, so Paul is saying the shape of the Christian community should mirror the shape of its Savior. The shape of the Christian community should mirror the shape of its professed Lord. So Jesus laid down his life for us. We ought to lay down our lives for one another. Jesus became a servant for us. Therefore, we ought to serve one another. Jesus washed his disciples' feet. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to lick the dust on the bottom of my feet. No, he says you ought to wash one another's feet. That's how you pay it forward in Jesus' book. You take this cross-shaped love and you apply it to other people. That's how you pay it forward. It's this self-giving love. In this self-giving love, we find abundant life. Jesus said, whoever tries to keep their lives will lose it. But whoever loses their life for my sake will truly find it. Have you ever feel this way about your life? Maybe it's because you've been hurt and you're like, no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to guard it now and boundaries and I'm not going to trust anybody. I'm not going to be vulnerable to anybody anymore. This is how I feel about my life. No, anyone who tries to keep their life will lose it. If you lay it down for his sake, you'll truly find it. Mother Teresa said, I have found the paradox that if you love until it hurts, there can be no more hurt, only more love. She's saying the same thing Jesus said, just in different words. This crucifixion of our lives unto resurrection, that logic sounds strange to us. It sounds like the math isn't going to add up, and we're always going to be operating from an empty cup. But in practice, we find that it's truly, truly more blessed to give than to receive. And this cross-shaped love, it fuels us. It overflows our cup so that it never runs out. It's like a never-ending stream. Jesus said, if you were to know Know the gift of God and who it is who asks of you. I would have given you living water. And the water that I give you will bubble up. and It'll never run dry. He wants to put a spring in us, a spring of his cross-shaped love. And it's this love, more than anything else, that is the mark of true Christian maturity. I remember Carissa and I, we saw one of our um, just heroes. We got to see one of our heroes speak at a conference. This was probably 12 years ago. We got to see uh, Richard Foster who wrote the book Celebration of Discipline, really popular book. He wrote a book on prayer, lots of, a very prolific author. And we were so excited to see him. And uh, he speaks so eloquently about spiritual disciplines like prayer and fasting and stuff like this. And he speaks so eloquently about uh, the call to biblical justice and things like that. And I remember at some point in the conference, somebody asked him, because um, uh, he was doing a Q&A part, um, what does the fully devoted follower of Jesus look like? Somebody asked him. And I remember sitting there, I'm like, get him, Richard. I'm like, get him. Like, I'm wanting him to, like, I'm wanting him to say, like, it looks like devoting yourself, like waking up early and praying and studying scripture. Or it looks like giving yourself over to help the vulnerable and, and to justice and all this. And, and, and I was waiting for him and... You know, he just took a deep breath. What does the fully devoted follower of Jesus look like? And he said, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness. He lists 
the fruit of the Spirit. And that was the whole of his answer. And I remember thinking, I'm not sure I like that. <laughs> like, I'm a little bit more focused on the outside of the cup, Richard. Like, I'm wanting you to tell people that they're wasting their lives and they need to get on track. You know, I'm sitting there feeling real self-righteous. But I, 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 I realized later that it was a brilliant answer because it was an inside of the cup answer. Jesus said the Pharisees, they're all about washing the outside of the cup. But what about washing the inside of the cup? That's something that can only come from God's grace. That's what the fully devoted life of, Jesus, of following Jesus looks like. Turn with me, if you would, to 1 Corinthians 13, verses 1 through 3. It's one of the most famous passages in Scripture. It's commonly read at, um, if you don't have a Bible, I'll read it out for you. It's commonly read at weddings, 1 Corinthians 13, verses 1 through 3. And uh, as I'm reading this, um, I, wa I want you to think about, because I want you to speak these out in just a moment. Um, what are some of the things that we as Christians are tempted to value more than love? 1 Corinthians 13, verses 1 through 3. Paul says this, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all that I have and I deliver up my body to be burned but have not love, I gain nothing. So what did you hear there? What are some things that as Christians, as the church, we're tempted to value more than love. What, what were some of the things that you heard? Yeah, charity. If I give away all that I have, right? That's one thing we could value more than love. What else? Prophetic powers. Prophetic powers, yeah. Like, right? Like knowledge. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, you know, you could have a lot of... You can have your brain filled with a lot of knowledge, but not have love. All right? What else? Faith. Faith to move mountains. Now, that's, that's kind of, that's shocking that that's on the list because faith is so highly prized in Scripture. But if you have faith that can move mountains and you don't have love, that's not going to, you're not going to gain anything. That's what he says. What else? Speaking in tongues, right? Miraculous experience. If I, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I'm only a clanging gong, a resounding symbol. Right? So we value very specific spiritual experiences. And, we, you know, we, we want those experiences. That's a good thing to have those experiences. But if we're valuing those more than we value love, oh, no, that's just, you're just, you're just a noisy instrument. That's what he says. Right, so miraculous experiences, all knowledge, faith that moves mountains, voluntary poverty, even surrendering your body to the flame. So even martyrdom, all these things we could do without love. It could actually just be about the outside of the cup for us. And we would gain nothing. It would be worth nothing. It's so easy to slip into exalting one or more of these things about love. We're so easily impressed by the wrong things because our priorities are actually out of whack. They're shaped by the world or they're shaped by our own desire to be impressive rather than being shaped by Jesus. For Jesus, as well as for Paul, love 
was the greatest thing. Not only was it the greatest commandment, according to Jesus, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself, but it's actually the greatest thing because it's indicative of the nature of God. The Apostle John said, God is love. Right? That's, if there's an attribute, I mean, you could, how much could you say about God? I mean, you could fill just volumes and volumes and volumes. The, the world wouldn't have enough about his attributes and about his goodness. But if there's one word above all else that describes God, it's that God is love. Amen? In fact, love is the greatest commandment precisely because it's the essence of God's nature. Do you see that? God's commandments are not arbitrary. They flow from his being. Right? That's how his commandments are. That's how they come to us. They come to us from his heart, from his nature. There's a tradition, uh, a very early tradition in the church which said that when uh, John the Apostle, who was the youngest of the apostles, when he was old, in his old age, uh, in the 90s uh, of the first century, he was this old man in Ephesus, and he was so old, he had to be carried by the other believers from church to church. And they said that the older that he got, uh, the more that his message was just this thing. Little children love one another. He would look at him and just say, little children, they want to know, what, what's this apostle say? This guy, he saw Jesus. He followed Jesus for three years. He saw the resurrected Jesus. What are you going to tell us? Little children love one another. The early church understood the centrality of cross-shaped love, and it should be central to us, too, at Incarnation. All right, so that's it for this week. The glory of God and cross-shaped love. Next week, we'll get into the others. Dependence, shared mission, lost in the least, beauty, diversity, authenticity, discipleship of the mind, and three streams.